Good morning, everyone. Good morning. My Bible's opened up to Isaiah, the 40th chapter, and that is where we will be for the entirety of the lesson. So let's get those Bible pages turning to Isaiah chapter 40, and we'll just work within that text for the next few minutes as we open up the Word of the Lord together. It is great to see everybody this morning, whether you're a member here or whether you are a guest visiting with us today. Uh, thank you for being here. I am encouraged so much by your presence and by your participation as we bring worship and reverence and praise before the throne of God. I'm just going to trust that you are singing out loud and singing very well because I can't hear out of the right side of my head. Uh, and so I'll just assume that you were doing a great job with that. And so uh, even though I'm participating in those things uh, with less than all of my faculties, uh, I'm glad to be here today nonetheless. I bring you greetings from the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Had a great meeting with those folks this past week, but as always, so very glad to get to be home with the brothers and sisters here at Lakeside today. When we concluded the meeting in Columbia last week, we decided that we would take a trip down to Huntsville, Alabama on Monday. Huntsville is only about an hour and a half from Columbia, and Huntsville is the home of the U.S. Space and Rocket Center. Tiffany and Hattie and I, we had never been there before, and it is a remarkable exhibit about all of the incredible things that NASA has done in the realm of space exploration. And when you visit that facility, you really can't help but be impressed with all of the achievements that have been made in the areas of aviation, technology, and engineering. It really is impressive what human beings have been able to discover have been able to accomplish. But as we toured the exhibit that day, and as we were thinking about all things outer space, and as we were learning about the universe, about the vastness of it, and about the just awesomeness of it, I've got to tell you, it wasn't human beings that I was most impressed with. No, I walked away that day with a heightened sense of awareness and appreciation for the greatness of God. And I couldn't stop thinking about it all day on Monday, and I kept thinking about it all week long. And this morning what I'd like to do is I'd like to then try to help all of us to see if we can't catch for just a passing moment a glimpse, a glimpse of God's greatness and His power. In many ways this will be a very different kind of sermon. This will not be the standard Josh McKibben three-point sermon with lots of practical application. My apologies in advance to the note takers. Rather, this lesson is about causing all of us to leave here today with more appreciation, more respect, and more recognition for how truly great the God that we serve really is. I want to do that out of the passage that was on my mind all week long in Isaiah chapter 40. Read with me, if you will, in verse number 12. This was the verse that came immediately to my mind in Isaiah 40. And in verse 12, Isaiah says, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? And who has marked off the heavens with a span? Who has enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure? and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. Those are attention-grabbing words. And those words come from the prophet Isaiah to the nation of Israel at a painfully difficult time in their history. It is a word to God's people 
who find themselves as captives in a foreign land where they will remain for the next 70 years. Try and put yourself in their shoes. You are in Babylon. You are far from home. And all around you, all day, every day, you hear the language and the talk of the Babylonians. All around you, you see Babylonian gods being worshipped and being bowed down to. And everywhere that you turn, you see the might of the Babylonian army being celebrated. The very army that smashed your city to pieces and burned the temple of God to the ground. You have to know that those Jews, they were asking and they were pleading and they were wanting to know, where is our God? Does our God have any power and might and strength over this ungodly nation? Most of all, will our God help us since we are so very far from home? Amazingly, the questions that those Jews asked in Isaiah's day are the very same questions that you and I entertain today. Because even though we are not literal captives, isn't it so? Isn't it so that sometimes we feel like we are living in Babylon? That we are on the turf of the pagans? All around us, we hear the pagans talk. And we see pagans and their gods being bowed down to the god of money, the god of pleasure, the god of self. We see everything pagan being celebrated and being rejoiced over in our culture. All around us, there are people who do not know God. And they do not want to know our God. And so we wonder, as we live in a land that is so far from our home in heaven, we ask, where is God? Does He have any power or strength or might? And will He help us while we are here away from Him? To answer those questions, what Isaiah is going to recommend is that we go and get ourselves a telescope. And that we get that telescope and point it upward in the direction of the sky, and we look up to the heavens, and we look to the natural realm around us, and we consider the extraordinary handiwork of our God. And as the prophet works along in this amazing sermon, what he's going to help us do is to see the universe not through our eyes. That's what we generally do. We, we go to the Grand Canyon and we say, wow, it's so big, it's so large, it's so amazing. But instead, Isaiah is going to help us to see all of that through God's eyes. With some powerful word pictures, Isaiah is going to help us to see things the way that God sees things. And in so doing, maybe, just maybe, we'll be able to grasp in some small way the greatness of our God. Are you ready to go get some of that? Read with me again in verse 12. I can't read this verse enough. Verse 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of His hand? Who has marked off the heavens with a span? Who has enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Verse 13, who has measured the Spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult? And who made him understand? 
Who taught God the path of justice? And taught Him knowledge? And showed Him the way of understanding? Verse 15, Behold, behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket. They are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, He takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before Him. They are accounted by Him as less than nothing and emptiness. What an awesome description of God that deserves our careful attention as we think about some of these images one by one. So for example, Isaiah says there in verse 12, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of His hand? Think about that. All of the oceans, all of the lakes, all of the rivers, all of the streams, all of the millions upon billions upon trillions of gallons that fill this earth. It's just like a scoop of water in the palm of God's hand. And then Isaiah asks, Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket? Think of all the earth and the dirt and the soil that composes our planet. All of it combined together, all of that, just dust in a basket to God. Or who has weighed the mountains and the hills on a scale? God counts the mountains as so small and insignificant that it would be like weighing them on one of those little scales that your grandmother maybe had in her kitchen when she would measure out portions to weigh things whenever she's cooking. Have you ever seen the Rocky Mountains? Who looks at the Rocky Mountains and says, well, I'll tell you what, we'll just throw them bad boys on the kitchen scales and we'll weigh them there. We'll see exactly how big they are. Who says that? God does. God does. And when God was putting all of that together, as He was piecing together all of the complexities and the intricacies of the universe, verse 14, whom did He consult? Who taught Him knowledge about how to do that? Who showed Him the path of understanding of what would be the best way to put it all together? Nobody. God did not seek out the advice of world-renowned scientists or engineers, or astrophysicists, or architects, or geologists, or any other learned men. He didn't need anybody. It was from his own mind, and his own intellect, and his own wisdom, and his own design that everything was perfectly brought into existence. And then in words that would have surely resonated to those Jews that were living under the oppressive thumb of the Babylonians, verse 15, to him... To this God, the nations are all like a drop from a bucket. All of the empires that have ever ruled, all of the kings that have ever sat on a throne, all of the armies that have ever marched, all of them together, they are all combined just a drop from a bucket to God. If you've ever filled up a bucket of water to maybe go water your plants or to water your garden, when you're carrying that bucket across the yard and some of that invariably sloshes out, 
Do you get all worried about that? Oh, man, I need to go back there and I need to find that drop that I lost somewhere here in the yard. No! It's just a drop. It's, it's meaningless. It's insignificant. It's just a, just a drop from a bucket. And so are the nations before God. Probably my favorite description is that description back in verse 12. That He has marked off the heavens with a span. How much is a span? In ancient times, a span was considered to be the distance from the end of the thumb to the tip of the little finger. Or maybe sometimes you'll see it is from the end of the thumb to the tip of the middle finger. You can measure it both ways and it's about the same. On a grown man, that's about eight inches. Or at least that's about the length of it was on myself when I measured my hand last night. And so the prophet says that our vast universe that we and everything else lives and exists in, all of that, it is to God a very small measurement. Just not much. And sometimes we read all of that. We nod our heads and we say, yes, that's right, Isaiah. And we go through all of that and it kind of entertains our minds for a second or two. Some of these images maybe help us a little bit. But we do that without really comprehending what Isaiah is saying here. Let me see if I can maybe put some of that into more contemporary terms to help us appreciate the language that he's using here. What you're looking at here is a model of our solar system. I think that that big bright orange one on the left, that's the sun. And then that blue one right down there on the right, that would be the earth. And then to the left of that, that would be our nearest neighbor. I've got the pointer there, it's working there. That right there, that's the planet Venus. And you look at that, you see that on the the scale there, well, that's that's just a hop and a skip away, is it? It's just a jump away. I mean, you just get there in no time, right? Actually, that distance on average is 25 million miles. 25 million miles to our next door neighbor. Driving at highway speeds of 55 miles an hour, driving nonstop, that would take you 52 years just to get there. And that's the closest one. Unless we look at that and we get to thinking that, man, Earth is just so large and Earth is just so impressive. Well, start looking around the rest of our solar system. And you'll bump into even bigger planets like, for example, that one right there. That one with the funny stripes on it. That's, that's Jupiter. Jupiter is significantly larger than the Earth. How much so? Well, here's maybe an illustration. A few years ago, Jupiter was struck by what uh, scientists believe was a really large comet. These are some shots that were taken from the Hubble telescope. And as that comet struck Jupiter's surface, you can see it there, it's marked off there on the bottom, it ended up leaving a mark, or as they referred to it, as a bruise. And we look at that and that seems like, well, I mean, on the grand scheme of things, that's just... Uh, it's just a little tiny little blemish. It's, it's merely a flesh wound. That's just not that big of a deal, right? Well, actually, actually that mark, that bruise, it's approximately the size of the Pacific Ocean, which is the largest body of water on our planet. 
Wow. That maybe starts to size up and give us at least a little bit of context as to the size of Jupiter, doesn't it? And before we start thinking too highly of Jupiter, Jupiter, of course, is nothing compared to the sun. The sun is a giant nuclear furnace. It is so large, as you can see here in this model representation, there's a little image of Earth in the top right corner there to give it a little bit of scale. It is so large that you could fit inside the sun 1.3 million Earths and there would still be room to spare. You get your telescope out. You start poking around our solar system. And before very long, you will start to realize things are really, really large here. And yet Isaiah says, it is all but a span to our God. If you were to zoom your telescope out a little further, maybe you've got one of those wide-angle lens telescopes, and if you were to zoom out from our solar system, then some of these truths become even more staggering. Our solar system is just a part of a huge cluster of stars and planets and moon and asteroids and space dust that all together are known as the Milky Way galaxy. When you start talking about the size of the Milky Way galaxy, you, you really can't even use miles anymore to describe it. It's, it's just too large. The, the numbers just aren't even meaningful anymore. And so astronomers describe it by talking about distance and time in a unit that makes sense for something that large. We do that all the time. We say things like, you know, it's a 90-minute drive to Lexington. Or it's just two and a half hours from here to Nashville. And so what astronomers use to talk about that is they talk about the speed of light. A beam of light travels 186,000 miles per second. Which means that if you could somehow jump on a beam of light, that you could travel around our earth at the equator seven and a half times in a second. But if you get on that beam of light and you ride through the Milky Way for a whole year, a light year, traveling at 186,000 miles a second, all day, every day, for 365 days, you will have traveled 5,865,696,000,000 miles. Whew. Hope you don't run out of gas, because I don't think I'd be able to come and get you. Five trillion miles. And yet you will not have even come close to traveling all the way across the Milky Way because the Milky Way galaxy is approximately 80,000 light years wide. You travel all day, every day at the speed of light for 80,000 years to be able to get from one end of that thing all the way to the other. And again, Isaiah says, it is all just a span to our great God. You want some more of that? Pick up in Isaiah, verse 22. Isaiah 40, verse 22. It is He who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. Who stretches out the heavens like a curtain, and He spreads them like a tent to dwell in. 
When you get to the end of the Milky Way galaxy, where are you going to be? Well, you're going to be at the corner of the universe. It's filled with a whole bunch of other galaxies just like ours. And that universe that you will be somewhere in the northeast quadrant of, it is approximately 156 billion light years wide. How big is your curtain, God? How big is this tent that you unfurl? As best as we can tell, the known universe is 156 billion light years wide. How big is that number? I can't even begin to wrap my mind around just the number itself. If you had 156 billion pennies, I'm told that you could carpet 21 square miles with pennies. If you stacked up 156 billion pennies, you could build an 18-story building that would be solid copper all the way through. And yet 156 billion pennies, that doesn't even begin to compare to the vastness of 156 billion light years that Isaiah says to God, it's nothing more than a curtain that He hangs up. How hard is it to hang up a curtain in your house? Well, I'll tell you this, for God, hanging up the universe, it's just not very hard for Him at all. Isaiah bears that out. Drop down to verse 26. Verse 26, lift up your eyes on high and see. Who created these? He who brings out their host by number calling them all by name, by the greatness of His might, and because He is strong in power, not one is missing. Who is it that calls all of the stars into place? God does. Every single one of them. He does that for every single star in the sky. In the Milky Way galaxy alone, astronomers now believe that there are approximately 100 billion stars. And I will remind you that the Milky Way is not the only galaxy. Astronomers believe that in our universe there are maybe as many as 200 billion galaxies. Do the math. If all 200 billion of those galaxies all have 100 billion stars, then... I'm running out of zeros. I draw your attention to that question that's asked in verse 26. Isaiah asked rhetorically, Who created all of these? And then in verse 28, he gives the answer. He says in verse 28, he says, It is God, the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. Our God is the creator of all of it. How long did it take God to unroll that curtain? How long did it take God to name all those stars one by one? How long did it take God to design a universe that is so wide and so large and so deep that we can't even describe it, much less discover it and search all of it out? I'll tell you this. Evolutionists, they like to talk about the Big Bang Theory. Well, I know, I believe in a Big Bang Theory. Yeah, I do. I believe in a Big Bang Theory. God spoke, bang! And it was. All of it was. 
Exactly as God designed. Exactly as Genesis reveals. Our God and His incredible power and might and strength and wisdom, He made it all by the power of His Word. Indeed, as we sing in that old hymn, our God is an awesome God. In Psalm 19 and in verse 1, the psalmist says there that the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. We often cite that verse and we talk about how, how, how all of creation testifies to a Creator. That the created things in the world around us, the things that we can see horizontally, all of that speaks to the fact that there is a designer and there is a Creator behind them. And that is absolutely so. Every facet of God's creation speaks to His existence. But I'm going to tell you this. There is nothing like looking vertically. Looking to the sky above where every star and every galaxy swirls millions of miles above our heads, only there do I believe our imaginations truly fill up with the kind of wonder that causes us to think about and truly appreciate the magnificence and the greatness of our God. Of course, the more I understand about how great God is, then if you're like me, then the more I start to realize just how small and how tiny and how insignificant I am. That means that in many ways, telescopes serve, telescopes serve as a wonderful deterrent to pride and to self-focus. All of us have probably at some point in our lives have had that experience of being outside somewhere on a clear summer night. We look up into the sky and the stars are just, they're just canvassed across the sky. And the moon is shining bright. And as we look around, we maybe begin to, we begin to notice some of those constellations. We say, hey, there's, there's Orion. And oh, look over there, there's, there's the Pleiades, those constellations that Job makes reference to. And the longer we look at that, the more that we contemplate that and think about that and gaze at that, have you ever noticed? The quieter we get. As our senses are just overtaken and overwhelmed by the grandeur and the beauty of what we see, it it humbles us, doesn't it? It brings us low. Who in that moment is going to just blunder in and say, I have something important to say. Who in the the, the solemnness of that moment as we look up to the night sky, who's going to jump in and say, hey everybody, look at me. Look at what I can do. Look at wow. No. No, when we contemplate the scope of our universe, it humbles us. It reminds us, verse 22, that it is He who sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. Not me. It can never be me. Stargazing has a way of curing narcissism and self-centeredness. It helps to put us in the proper frame of mind where we can do things like, like worship, where we prostrate ourselves before the One who made heaven and earth and we are able to praise Him for His excellency and for His greatness. How many times have you heard someone say, well, you know, church, church just bores me. I just can't do the church thing, man. It's just so boring. 
I actually heard a fellow say a couple months ago that the reason that his teenage kids don't come to church anymore is because it just bores them. They just get so bored by that. Well, excuse me. Please tell us what we can do to please and to entertain you. Because don't you know, that is really the essence of our existence. We're so sorry that for even a moment we thought of doing something for God that would honor and glorify Him. Oh, how dumb of us. God forbid. God forbid that we would ever seek to live our lives so that we are the center of the universe. When I stare into the heavens, I am reminded of the truth that God is the center of the universe. And that, of course, affects not just how I worship. That affects everything. That affects how I live, how I act, how I talk, how I think, the places that I go, the activities I engage in, the people that I hang around, everything that I do. And why? Well, Isaiah answers that too. Would you back up in the text of verse 6? In Isaiah 40 and in verse 6, a voice says, Cry! And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of our God stands forever. You know, we often use that passage to prove that the Bible... The Bible, the Word of God, it will stand and it will last into all of eternity. And that is absolutely so. That is a proper use of that passage. But did you notice what that passage says there about people? Something's going to last forever, but it ain't people. People, verse 7, are grass. We are. We're just grass. How then can we ever become fixated on self? How can life ever be about what self wants to do? We're just going to fade away. If the world stands long enough, the tiny little mark and impression that we think that we have made on the world, whether that be in business or in sports or in politics or whatever other kind of pursuit, all of that, it's going to be erased by the sands of time. But our great God, And His holy word stand forever. Looking through the telescope through that lens, that helps me to recognize that truly I am nothing. And that He indeed is everything. But you know, that sense of proper perspective, that can sometimes backfire a little bit. If the universe really is 156 billion light years across, then what that means is, is that means that I, I'm just a speck. I'm a speck on the back of a fleck of dust spiraling through space and time. And that recognition can cause me to wonder, does, does God even know that I'm here? Does He even notice me? I mean, He's busy reigning over the universe. His power and His attention, they're, they're probably occupied with much more important matters like, like keeping the cosmos from supernovae or preventing the earth from being sucked into a black hole or something like that. D- does God even know me? Does God even care about me? If you look at verse 27, 
That's exactly what those Israelites were thinking and asking while they were in captivity. Verse 27, the Lord says, Why do you complain, O Jacob? Why do you say, O Israel, that my way is hidden from the Lord? That my case is just disregarded by God? These people were saying, God's He's forgot all about us. God doesn't care. God doesn't even notice us. And then the prophet corrects them, verse 28. Isaiah says, verse 28, Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint. He does not grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary and young men shall fall exhausted. But those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like an eagle. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Isaiah says that the very God who can make the universe out of nothing, the God who made everything that we see and everything that even we cannot see, that a God like that who is so great... He is also a God who is so great that He will not lose track of you. He will not forget you. He will not be too busy to notice you or hear you or to answer your prayer. Yes, He is the Creator of all things. Yes, He is the God of the universe. But you need to understand that He is your God, Israel. That you are His people. That He cares for you. That the very same power that flung those stars into existence, the very same power that placed all those planets in their orbits and set them in their place, that very same power will come to your aid to save you, to deliver you, to help you. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. And what that means in the very most practical sense for you and I, is that when the trials of this life seem almost just too much to bear, I just don't know how much more I can take. Or whenever we feel the pressure of being persecuted and mocked and ridiculed for our faith, and we feel like throwing in the towel and giving up. Or when the temptations of the devil are just pounding on us at every turn and on every side. It is the Lord who gives us the power to persevere. And it is the Lord who provides us the will to carry on. We do not pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, no. Isaiah says we run in the strength of His might. So while looking through that telescope, it may cause me to feel dwarfed by creation. I need to remember that ultimately creation is dwarfed by God. It is that God, the God of all creation, our God, who does so much more than we could ever ask or think, and He does all of that so that someday you and I could go and live with Him. and We can bask in His glory for all of eternity. And so, no, you don't have to make a five-hour trip all the way down to Huntsville, Alabama to the Space Center 
And no, you don't have to get on Amazon.com and buy yourself a $5,000, you know, ultra nerdy high-tech telescope in order to truly understand and appreciate the greatness of God. All you really need is a Bible. Then all you need to do is just look up into the evening sky. You'll catch a glimpse of God's greatness. And I hope that what we have seen in Isaiah chapter 40, that it will push us to new levels of admiration and new levels of gratitude and new levels of love for the Lord. Because even though I do not expect you to remember all of the dimensions of the Milky Way galaxy, there will not be a test after services. You don't need to know how far light can travel in a year. What I do hope, though, is that each and every one of us will take the time to look above and see displayed for us day after day the power of our great God. I hope, I hope that that will cause you to stand in awe of Him. I hope that that will create within you as much needed sense of humility. Most of all, I hope that it will cause you to realize that His awesome hand of power It is outstretched and it extends all the way down even to little old you. In just a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to be led in a song of invitation. It is the song, Prepare to Meet Thy God. This lesson has not specifically addressed the judgment of God, but you need to know that that is part of His power. It is part of His greatness. That a day comes when you will stand before the great and mighty God of the universe. You will stand before the God who made you. The question is, what then? What then? If you have never accepted God's gracious offer and gift of salvation by being united with His Son in the waters of baptism, then careless soul, why do you linger? Why are you waiting? You cannot truly stand in awe of God. You may say it and you may think it. But you cannot stand in awe of God unless you bow the knee before Him in obedience to His will. We are singing this song to give you the opportunity to say, Today, I am humbling myself before the Lord. Today, I am pledging my life to serve the one true great God of all creation. Today, I am taking Him by the hand. To begin that upward journey home. If we can help you this morning to become a Christian. Or if we can help you to serve the Lord in a better way as a Christian. Then would you make your way down front right now? Do that while we stand and while we sing.